Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 67 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Wise Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Wise Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Today, our guest is Armin Yaminijan. Armin is a successful entrepreneur involved in numerous ventures, most notably Essence Cannabis Dispensaries, which originally consisted of three dispensaries and two cultivation and production facilities in Nevada. Armin and his team were also approved for eight additional licenses in the state of Nevada. And it was approved for commercial cannabis licenses in West Hollywood, Pasadena, and Culver City, California. Armin was named a Vegas Inc.'s 40 under 40 list in 2018, and he was named one of High Times' 100 most influential people in cannabis. Armin, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thank you. All right, it's great to have you on the show. It's worth noting to the audience that me and my team have worked with uh, Armin in the past, and we've had the privilege of working with him on a couple key hires uh, while he was at Essence and for the, for the time he was at, at Green Thumb. So I know a little bit of, about Armin, and I'm very intrigued to learn more about uh, our conversation today. Let's start out by discussing the success you had in the cannabis industry and work from there. There's a lot of layers to you, and I want to hopefully touch on all of them. But just to start out kind of a softball like kind of question, can you humbly share uh, some of the highlights of the deal when Green Thumb acquired Integral Associates, which everybody knows as Essence. Yeah, uh, the deal, well, it was a public deal. So there, there's a press release uh, on uh, all about it. Um, but essentially the idea was at the time, you know, just to set the stage, Nevada was looked at as the um, tourist market, given the 44 million visitors that come to Las Vegas every single year. So Nevada was <clears throat> on every big multi-state operators radar. And we had been, been approached by, I would say five or six groups and probably had four, three or four LOIs, uh, from companies at that time. And without even having hired investment bankers, because the interest was so high in Las Vegas. And uh, we ended up choosing uh, Green Thumb Industries as kind of a suitor and partner. Uh, our, our transaction was, <clears throat> majority of it was stock, I would say 75, 80%, and uh, had some performance hurdles in there as well. Um, I stayed on with Green Thumb for about a year as president and then uh, left since then. But from a, from a deal perspective, it was funny because a lot of it was stock and there were a lot of people who <clears throat> thought we were crazy or that it was a very big bet to take uh, that much stock instead of cash. And um, I think everybody you know who follows in the cannabis industry kind of knows about the time this closed and what the stock price was at and where it's at now. So uh, any of those doubters, I think, uh, aren't doubting anymore. Um, so uh, congrats. I think I've told you this obviously before, but congrats on all the success uh, uh, since then and, and after the uh, acquisition. And then the Thank other you. thing that I, I want to get into, let's talk about some of the awards you received while uh, running Essence. So there was, uh, I saw a list of stuff, Bi Business Insiders, number one dispensary, top 25 dispensaries in the United States, 
15 time uh, Leafly list winner, Las Vegas Review Journal 2016 Best of Las Vegas. And then the one that I mentioned uh, in, in the intro, High Times 100 Most Influential People in Cannabis. Uh, what are these achievements? Uh, what, about, what, what do they mean to you? And what are you most proud of when you hear that list of achievements? Well, I think the list of achievements is a direct reflection of the 200, 400, you know, two, well, let me think about this. The 250 plus people that made those lists, right? I mean, I'm not in the dispensary every day to win Leafly's 15, 16, whatever the number was times. But I think the important part about those accolades is that it shows the team uh, that what they're doing every day and every transaction makes a difference, right? So I think that's the important thing. No, I don't, no one, you know, it's not me that won those awards. I, I, I'd love to, I get to take the credit for it because I, you know, took the risk with my partners in starting the business. But, you know, winning, winning Leafly or being influential, whatever that means, uh, is just a product of, execution from people at um, the, the kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat level of, of the business, you know? So I get more excited because the team got excited when we would have 5,000 reviews or 10,000 reviews, you know, however many it would be and four and a half, 4.8, 4.9 stars. And uh, that was a tone that was kind of set early when, you know, we had a hundred reviews on uh, weed maps or something and the, the team was so happy and you know we celebrated but I said you know we have a hundred reviews you know we need to be at you know 8,000 reviews with a five-star rating <laughs> right so celebrating successes but understanding that you, you you don't just stop there and uh, I think that's more of the product of, of those awards that the reason why I like those a lot more too, Max, is because a lot of those accolades are team accolades. So um, it's everything. It shows those people that work there that they make a difference every single day. Absolutely. And you're, uh, it, this is one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan. I'm, Armin's a successful and very humble leader. Um, you know, one of the, when we worked with you, uh, I will just state, um, you were, you had made more progress from a top line and bottom line than any uh, company that we had encountered. And we had encountered a lot of companies uh, back in, I think it was 2017, 18. So you're talking to somebody that's very, very humble. And uh, uh, obviously, you know, part of the reason why he built such a great team. Speaking of like the cannabis industry, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but how and when did you first get involved in cannabis? I don't know if I know the story. Um. So I worked in a casino mm -hmm. at the time. It was our family business <clears throat> and it was 2014 and Nevada had just created their regulatory framework around um, cannabis, <clears throat> medical cannabis. And my dad got a phone call from a friend of his that said, Hey, we've heard cannabis is coming to Nevada. Have you given it any thought? And my dad said, absolutely not. You know, I have an unrestricted gaming license, as, as did I as well. And uh, my dad and I would have dinner, you know, when we were working probably together four nights a week. 
um, very, very close relationship with my dad and, uh, you know, very mentor mentee and, and very brotherly father, son love, uh, relationship. So I'm, I'm really lucky. I, I tell a lot of people that I got my business degree at the dinner table. Right. <laughs> um, um, so <clears throat> we used to talk about everything and he said, Oh, I got this call today from so-and-so. And I said, well, you know, maybe I can just look into it because, you know, gaming is great, but, you know, it'd be interesting to do something entrepreneurial and try something new. And uh, my dad has, you know, been in gaming for a very, very long time and um, uh, kind of saw the gaming industry the same way I had a seat at the cannabis industry. You know, well, he had the same uh, view of the cannabis industry, obviously, through this venture, but, you know, he couldn't get debt or, you know, banks wouldn't want to you know, have accounts or whatever it may be. It was a very <clears throat> kind of similar parallel path. Um, but back to your original question, um, I said, you know, I'd love to just take a look. And uh, it was around that time that the Dr. Sanjay Gupta weed special was on CNN. I don't know if you remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, there was, there were these families that were, CBD refugees of children who were having epileptic seizures. And the only thing that helped them was CBD. And there were these brothers called the Stanley brothers who had bred this strain that was very high in CBD. And it helped these children with these, uh, with these issues. And so I got on a plane and I went and I met the Stanley brothers and I went and I toured a bunch of different cultivation facilities and, and um, retail facilities, you know, at that time it was, you know, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, right? It wasn't as spread uh, throughout the country as it is now, cannabis. And I came back and saw a real opportunity uh, in cannabis. I thought, you know, for a number of different reasons that the timing was right. And I uh, ended up essentially having to forfeit my class A unrestricted gaming license and, and took a chance and applied for a bunch of cannabis licenses. That's amazing. And I think, uh, you know, what you mentioned, your dad uh, being involved in the gaming industry, which also obviously has a lot of regulatory and compliance, you know, might've helped you. Cause I think people quickly forget back when we're talking about, it felt a little riskier uh, than it is now. In my opinion, I think you would probably agree with that. Um, so, um, that's, uh, that's an amazing story how you got in and what was the, uh, was there like a lottery or what was the process like in order to get the licenses? Well, a couple of things, I would say the, the regulatory training and background of, of running, you know, I, I was vice president of casino marketing and vice president of casino operations. So I was on the credit committee. Uh, you know, I, I had VIP report to me, uh, you know, all table games, all slot machines, casino special events. I worked with database marketing and all within this extremely regulatory compliant framework. Uh, actually, I've never worked any business that didn't come with some sort of license or privilege license along with it. So it was definitely great training and having a healthy fear and respect for uh, law and rules. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a great parallel training there. So, um, 
Um, in addition, uh, to answer your second question, your, or to answer your first question, sorry, which is the process, it's a very competitive application process um, where you write uh, essentially and uh, respond to an RFP. And there are hundreds, in some cases, thousands of people that apply for licenses. And um, it's it, pretty competitive and, and it's the cheapest way, right? You see, <clears throat> it may have cost somebody who applied for a New York license 200,000 when they applied for it. Now, you, you know, you couldn't buy one for $150 million. So they're very, very coveted and, and, and all, you know, uh, a lot of the biggest companies, that's how they get the best licenses at value. Got it. You know, we'll get a little bit more into the personal side, but just the first thing that pops out at me is uh, what do you, what do you attribute your personal success as a leader to? I know you're pretty humble and it sounds like you learned a lot from your father, uh, but what else do you think like kind of sticks out to you on, on an attribute uh, from your, that sticks out for your personal success? Um, you know, I think some of it has to do with my upbringing, you know, um, I'm, my, my parents were both born, uh, in other countries. So I'm a first generation born in United States. So I always tell people that being, you know, uh, son of immigrants or, uh, especially son of Armenian immigrants is like a superpower. Um, and, uh, I think it's just behavior, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> behavior that I've seen role modeled that, you know, work hard and be honest and, you know, just kind of raised more values driven than rules driven. And, um, you know, I, I always, yeah, I would say those things, you know, I had, I had, was lucky to have great family, great parents, great cousins that all set really great examples and, and, um, you know, I, you know, our, our, it's funny, I, I was telling someone else about this. There's so many Armenians for such a small country of two, two and a half million people <clears throat> that have made such a big impact in the world. <clears throat> and it's very rare that you see a com- country that small um, uh, make that much of an impact. So I, I always joke that being Armenian is a superpower. <laughs> Now, I would agree. My one of my best friends. I just went to his wedding. He's getting married for the second time, and his wife is Armenian. So I spent the entire weekend with her family, and uh, they were amazing. They're everything you just described. So uh, uh, I've seen it, and uh, it, that says a lot. Hey, I remember when we were started working together. I think one of the things that stood out. And you might laugh at this because it's such a small thing. That when you started to uh, when we you had the dispensaries. I, I think it was the one we were talking about was the one on the strip that there were things happening because of the demand, like foot traffic was so heavy that you're having to replace carpet probably, you know, every other month or whatever that might be. Was there anything else that uh, happened uh, that due to the demand that surprised you as you were building, uh, building your dispensaries and and building your company? Um, No, I, I don't, I don't, you know, yeah, th- things wear and tear more, obviously. And I think I learned a lot in mistakes that I made the first time in design and and uh, learned a lot that way for high volume retail. Um, but nothing really that stood out much, you know, everything did kind of wear and tear much faster. That's for sure. 
Yeah. 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 No. And I visited uh, that dispensary when I was there on a trip and it was busy there. They, uh, your team moved people through there pretty fast and inefficient. So it was fun to see it firsthand. Uh, how many just, I've been to Vegas. I was just there obviously for MJ BizCon as I think you were as well. How many other dispensaries are on the strip today? Are there a, are there a lot compared to obviously when you started? Well, it depends on how you define the strip. I, I define the strip as the corners from Tropicana to Sahara. Cause then I think you get kind of downtown. Yep. Um, on the actual, with an actual Las Vegas Boulevard locate, location on those, the corners on Sahara and, and between there and Tropicana, there really are none. And Sahara is the corner where the stratosphere is and Tropicana is the corner where uh, MGM and, and the Excalibur are. Um, there is one with a Las Vegas Boulevard a little farther north, um, kind of in between Las Vegas and downtown. So the strip in downtown. Um, but there are a, a ton now that service the strip, uh, meaning they may not be exactly on Las Vegas Boulevard, but their business model is heavily focused on incentivizing cab drivers and really drawing um, tourists to their location. I'm sure you've heard of Planet 13 and Reef and, you know, there's a cookies now and there are actually two cookies now uh, that will be in Vegas. So there are a lot of companies that are really trying to let, you know, pick at the, the tourist market in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, if anybody's been to Vegas and you grab a cab, I mean, the cab's a great place, obviously to advertise for, uh, uh, for cannabis or dispensaries uh, because almost all of them are uh, cannabis uh, they're They advertise cannabis, but what, what in that market uh, because you spend some time there, what, you know, besides there being more dispensaries, what's the same and what's different as far as the competitive landscape uh, in Las Vegas with regard to cannabis? I mean, I was there, but I'm just asking somebody who was there, you know, originally when they opened one of the first licenses up, I'm just curious as to what you see different and what you see as the same. Well, it's just, it's much more competitive. So there were no big multi-state operators in Nevada, really. Uh, up until recently when, you know, Cresco and uh, Cura Leaf has acquired their Planet 13 was then created. Um, so there are more multi-state operators and I don't want to call it big cannabis, but corporate public cannabis uh, has entered the market. And um, there, there are more dispensaries. So by definition, there's more competition uh, in the market. And uh, it's, it's, it's different in the sense that there, there are more players and, and more, you know, diverse kind of group of players and, and more concentrated. You have um, fewer mom and pop dispensaries and more um, aggregated dispensaries, even though I'm surprised that there hasn't been more consolidation, but I think it'll come still. Yeah. 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 No, I, you would think it would, but Every dispensary that I drive by when I've been in Vegas, which only been a couple times in the recent uh, year, they seem to be all busy. So it's it's uh, it's quite the place uh, for for dispensaries and for the cannabis industry. Yeah, well, a lot of them are spending a tremendous amount of money on marketing, um, <clears throat> billboards, wrapping taxis, and you know a, a lot of them pay taxis for drop offs too. So mm -hmm. 
uh, there's a lot of marketing money spent to uh, driving tourist traffic. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Where do you see, uh, and I won't hold you to this, but I always ask guests, uh, which I've had the honor of having some really good uh, other cannabis leaders uh, on the, the show, but where do you see the cannabis industry going in five years? Um, I think it's, it's at this point going to be execution and consolidation. You know, I think you're going to see a migration of brands. You're going to see a lot more um, asset light models uh, that leverage brands. I think you'll see federal legalization in the next five years, um, meaning some sort of framework and access to U.S. exchange and conventional debt and banking and, and you know, the two or three levers that are really going to make a difference. Um, so I think those things come and I think there's a massive consolidation opportunity. You know, Curaleaf is the largest multi-state operator in the country and still has a high single digit or low, low double digit um, uh, market share. So I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for consolidation and, and it's just the beginning. Yeah. And I've asked some pretty smart people in cannabis that question, but when I think about it, as I asked you it, although you still are obviously a shareholder of Green Thumb and, uh, you know, you, you're not really, you don't necessarily have a, a, another dog in the fight. So I think you're just kind of saying it how it is. Most people feel the same way, uh, but I appreciate you sharing on sharing that. Where do you get your competitive drive from? Um, you know, I've spent a little bit of time with you, but I didn't get into detail. Like, did you play competitive sports? Did you maybe basketball since you're like a foot taller than me? Or, but I'm just trying to figure out where, you know, where this great business leader came from. And then I want, I do want to get into how you're raised. Uh, you talked a little bit about your dad being influential, but let's start out like, where do you, where do you believe you got your competitive drive from? And did it come from sports or where did it come from? Uh, I think it came, well, I always played sports. I don't know if my competitive drive came from sports or my competitive drive, you know, kind of pushed me toward playing sports. Right. And, um, so I played tennis. I still play tennis. I try to play three or four times a week. Um, I did play basketball, although more, um, for fun, less organized, um, and I played soccer growing up competitive, competitively as well. So, uh, I, I always played sports. I love sports and, um, I'm a very competitive person and I don't know if that's upbringing as well, or just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but, uh, I, I would consider myself highly, highly competitive. And on that, like, so what was, what's your, what are your parents like? I mean, obviously your dad, entrepreneurial, was he entrepreneurial before he came to the U S So, like, what was it? What was your, upbringing? my dad moved here when he was 13. Oh, okay. So, so relatively young, grew up poor in Argentina, uh, came to the United States and met my mom, uh, in junior high school. So, uh, they both went to the same Armenian high school in LA. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you, uh, so your dad sounded like he had a big motor on him, was very motivated. And was he the, the first valedictorian of his high school? He 
came to this country not speaking English and did his homework every night with a Spanish English dictionary. Um, you know, he's, I would consider him a very, very competitive person too. Got it. And then, uh, you know, one of the things that I stuck out, stood out in your bio was, uh, you know, you're a member of the Nevada Dispensary Association and Nevada Cannabis Coalition. Um, I think you're appointed by the Clark County Commission to serve on the Cannabis Green Ribbon uh, Panel, and then in addition to participating in the governor's task force on cultivation. How was this community involvement significant to you and your business? Um, you, you can't be in a business like that and not be that involved. Um, you know, you have, especially in an industry like cannabis, where things are always changing and evolving and people are learning. If you open a new casino, the gaming control board has done it a million times, right? Opening a new dispensary that's never been done. I mean, now it's, you have more reps under your belt, you know, but in the beginning, everyone's trying to figure out how to correct, how not to overcorrect and a lot of the, the job was being involved in the community, having an open line of communication with the folks um, at, at council and commission and being present and offering to, you know, give opinion and, and work out problems. And uh, especially in such a new industry, it's, it's imperative. I, I think it's imperative regardless of whether it's a new industry or not being part of the community in which you do business, um, it's, it's paramount and it, you know, and the business has to have a face and, you know, a representative. And I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of that, especially, especially in cannabis that is so, um, regulation heavy. Got it. And then, you know, obviously you talked about, uh, you know, gaming being the family business and the Tropicana hotel and casino, your dad, I believe was a shareholder or how did he get involved in that business? And then let's talk about your career in that and, and what you kind of learned from that uh, experience that you had, what you've talked a little bit about. Yeah. My dad was uh, originally an accountant and um, met uh, through a mutual friend, a uh, gentleman named Kirk Krikorian, who, you know, in our, in the Armenian world is like it, you know, yeah. Uh, he's, he's our, you know, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates all wrapped into one, you know, we don't, we, you know, now we have many more successful Armenians as well, but at that time he had just made such an incredible impact in motion pictures and, and casinos and car companies. And, you know, it was very proud for all Armenians to have somebody that at that level, um, and so my father got the opportunity to be his right-hand man um, for 20 plus years and, you know, bought, sold and ran most businesses and most companies. So mostly, you know, having to do with um, uh, gaming and motion pictures, but all the other businesses as well. So I spent a lot of time between LA and Las Vegas growing up. And when my father left MGM, and I believe it was, oh, 2000 or 2004, 
Um, he partnered with a private equity firm in Canada called Onyx, and they acquired the Tropicana. And then you, you, you graduated from SC, is that right? Yeah, I went to U, USC. I graduated in uh, 09. And then you, uh, you got into the business and you started kind of in the marketing department and really worked your way up to, you know, really the leadership team. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. What was, what was that experience like? Uh, it was really interesting. I was single um, in Vegas and I just poured everything into work and learning. And it was such a complicated operationally intense business that there was always something to learn. So I just lived there basically, you know, and, and immerse myself into it. And as you can imagine, being in a casino is an, ex it's a, an exciting place to be as opposed to an office or a cubicle, you know, so especially for someone in their twenties out of college, having the ability to be in that action and excitement and, you know, learning from the ground, um, a very complicated business or, or a group of very complicated businesses that have to work together under one bigger business. Um, you know, I had a lot of exposure to organizational structure and processes and regulation. So there was always something to learn and I must have spent 18 or 18 hours a day, seven days a week in that casino. Amazing. And I have uh, admittedly spent a decent amount of time in the casino. Uh, when I was single, I used to go to Vegas quite a bit and uh, play in the casinos. And I don't know, I'm just fascinated. I've seen enough movies. Like what, what was the, I guess, what were the biggest challenges you guys faced in running a casino? Like I, I, I watched, you know, in the movies, you see people watching people figure out ways to, to game the system. Like, were you dealing all with that type of stuff or what were the biggest challenges that you faced working in the, uh, in the gaming industry? Uh, you know, it's, it's the same issues that a lot of people deal with. They just, they just look different, right? But it's still theft, employee theft, uh, um, uh, hiring, um, you know, training. It's very similar issues uh, across. It's just, you know, you have a food and beverage, you have hotel, you have casino marketing, casino operations, property marketing, you know, you have all of these different silos that all need to work together, uh, which is, which is really the, uh, the complicated part, right? Yeah. What, what was, what was the most rewarding part about working in a casino for me? You know, when you're in the casino, the most rewarding part is see, seeing people win, you know, obviously when you're the house, that's probably not the most exciting part sometimes. I mean, I think it's part of the draw, but what was the most rewarding part for you uh, experiencing that? You know, it's funny. I, I have people who are friends of mine like, oh, I'm sorry, I, we won. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, this is probability and statistics. Right. You know? As long as my house advantage is there, I, I you know, someone's got to win. Not everybody loses. I'd rather it be people I like that win, you know? So it was it was just kind of funny that I always looked at it as, you know, more, more money being put into a slot machine means more money. Right. And so a lot of it is really driving marketing and, and how, you know, we try to go after the, the $25,000 customer at, at quite frankly, bigger and nicer properties 
and treat those $25,000 customers the way that property would treat a $100,000 customer, right? And we just spent a little more, which wasn't really much, and <clears throat> tried to just create a great high-touch experience for, you know, we, we weren't in the million-dollar customer business, right? Um, those are for the wins and the arias and um, Venetians. You know, we were a single property in Las Vegas that couldn't, you know, we would never take that kind of action. So it was very much about understanding who our target market was and how to go after those people, you know, and uh, that's, that was the, the kind of marketing we stuck to of making sure that a $25,000 customer who would, wouldn't be treated particularly well or get much in comps at those other places would be treated like a king at our place. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you've talked about, uh, I think I, you know, I think you talked about this a little bit, but you talked about being approved you and your dad for a non-restrictive gaming license from uh, Nevada gaming commission. What does that, what does that mean? Are you like, they hold you responsible for, uh, that's the highest license you can get in the state of Nevada at, for a, if you're in gaming. <clears throat> it basically means you've been background checked and can own the casino. Got it. And so it's the it's a it's a very very privileged license, and um, <clears throat> in gaming, that's what it means. It means the highest level of license you can get. Got it. And then you also served, obviously, on the, uh, as you, you know, uh, well, the, the Las Vegas Executive Committee, as well as the Casino Credit and Compliance Committee, you talk a little bit about that. What did that teach you? What did you learn through that, being on those committees and kind of overseeing, uh, you know, in having the fiduciary, I guess, responsibility for the casino? I don't think that being on that committee taught me anything other than you know, more, more about what just being in gaming teaches you of seeing people when they're at their highs and at their lows, you know, and certain people who act certain ways, you know, based on the outcome of the table and other people who, who stay unfazed and just are there to have a good time. So I think what is more interesting is understanding how those people's personalities lead to how they treat their credit decisions, right? And, um, you know, obviously working with other executives and making decisions at that level with, with credit was, was great in understanding, you know, proper checks and balances and corporate governance and, you know, the importance of fiduciary responsibilities and everyone in that room was aligned, obviously, for, um, you know, and, and all for the company. And we, we didn't take very silly risks. Uh, we were very, very calculated and methodical in, in our approach and everyone understood what would and would not be tolerated. And it was pretty straightforward from there. Um, but you, you really get to understand people and, and uh, it, it's, it was, it's a very interesting, whenever someone says credit, I always think of markers and, and gamblers and how many times you get, you know, screamed at for not wanting to give someone more money, but they call you the next day and thank you for it, you know? So uh, you know, when you, when I think of credit, I, I think of funny stories like that. Yeah. Did you, uh, do you miss working in a casino? I mean, I, you, 
I, I kind of get the picture. I think what it taught you is hard work I and mean, working 18 hours a day for periods of time that you're talking about um, probably ingrained some hard work uh, in, in some, some of those characteristics that probably helped uh, with all your other ventures that you've been successful in, which we'll, we'll get into. But do you ever miss the gaming industry? No, no. I, I mean, it, you know, it's such a nighttime industry, right? Um, that it's a very difficult industry to be in, um, especially with what I was doing with a family. You know, at, at least I found it difficult. I know there are other folks that have juggled it well, but um, I didn't have a family when I was in that industry. And, and now looking back, having a family, I, for where I'm at now, I, I would not want to go back. Yeah, just purely the hours. I mean, you you probably worked all night long, went to went home at, in the morning and slept a little bit during the day and then went back. Exactly. That's basically what, what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of people that run uh, nightclubs as I got, you know, when I was older, this is when I was younger. Armin's much younger than I am. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I know exactly the type that you're talking about. What are you, you know, getting more into what we start talking about him and I, before we started recording he was telling me he just got done working out, playing tennis. Um, what do you most enjoy outside of business? And uh, what do you do outside of work to keep your life balanced other than tennis, which you've talked about and, and you know, working out? Is there anything else that you're into that you believe helps keep you balanced as a person and as a, you know, just a, a business person and, and person in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have kids. That, that's my number one priority. Um, I think it's obviously still a priority and important for my kids to see the hard work that I saw when I was, you know, um, their age with my father as well. Um, so I think there is a balance there, uh, both ways. Um, but I love traveling. I love being with my family and I like, I like to read. I don't read as much as I'd like to, but meaning books, I probably average like seven or eight books a year but um, I wish I read more. Yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm a lot better at listening to books because I can do it while I'm doing something else than uh, reading. And as you start to get older, um, which you're not there yet, I can't see very well. Like I need reading glasses, so it's hard for me to read. Uh, but anybody that's over 40 or in their mid 40s as I am, that's about when your uh, eyesight starts going. Uh, right. hey, are there any, uh, this is a random question, but I know a lot of people love hearing from people like yourself uh, that have been successful in, in managing busy lives, both personally and professionally, but are there any apps or pieces of technology that you recommend that make you more productive? Um, yeah, I, I, I think the apps that I use are pretty standard. I like to use the signing apps because it's really hard now being so mobile to print stuff out. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the sign easy and docu signs. Um, obviously, I have kids now, so Disney Plus is on every device we have. Right. Um, from a productivity standpoint, um, honestly, a lot of what I do is in Excel and QuickBooks on managing investments and stuff. I, I haven't, I don't I haven't run an operating business in a while, but, you know, used to use Evernote some, 
Um, and yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't really use any for personal productivity right now other than my calendar and actually, which is a great app. I, I do use Calendly for people to be able to manage my schedule. Yeah, got it. No, that's helpful. I've been asking people and people give me feedback and they love hearing just verification from successful business leaders, entrepreneurs on, you know, kind of what, the, what their go-tos are. And then the other thing we touched on uh, that I'd love to share with the audience, uh, because it's always a piece of our show and it's a big piece of the Wise Scouts uh, culture is uh, around, you know, fitness and, and mental and, and physical well-being. And when I met you in, uh, I think it was the winter of 2019, because I remember it was cold outside, you had just committed and you'd lost a lot of weight. Uh, you're very energized by it. I just, I saw you uh, at the beginning. We don't, we don't uh, video these, but we were on Zoom earlier before we started but clearly you've kept up and, and uh, you've kept up on, on diet and exercise. Any advice that you'd have for people on like how you, you got to where you're at in, first of all, committing to uh, sticking to a diet and, and workout uh, like you have. And um, I guess, how are you feeling these days? Since that was, you know, obviously about three years ago now, two or three years ago now. Yeah, I feel great. Um, I think, um, you just have to be ready. You know, I used to, um, you know, friends that are smokers and, you know, my parents smoked cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes for a very short period of time. It's one of the, literally probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. Uh, just killing myself, but, um, with quitting as well, it's like when you're there, you're there, you know, and the mind is a very powerful thing. And, um, growing up, my, my dad would always say, you know, you show me a person and I'll show you their priorities. And it's just a matter of how important of a priority is to, to somebody. But, you know, food was a very emotional um, crutch for me too. Uh, people use food differently. And the reason why food is a little different than drugs or nicotine is that you need food to live, just the right amounts and right quality of it, right? So it's not something that you quit. It's something that you manage. And once you can really understand that that's how it has to be, then it's just part of your life. And that's what you think of. Right. And it's not a diet. It's, it's really, it's so corny to say this, but it, it is a lifestyle. You know, you have to want to work out. You have to want to feel good. It's very important. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I've, it's been a, a interesting journey. I definitely feel a lot better. I definitely have my moments where I, where I don't, I'm not as well behaved as I'd like to be. Um, but you know, I feel great. Man. I love you sharing that in the way you broke down, uh, you know, just because I've obviously communicated with you before the way you just broke that down in such a awesome straightforward way is kind of how he views business and life just in general. Um, and it's kind of probably how, what's gotten you to, uh, to where you are today, but that's exactly, I've never heard anybody say it that simply about the relationship with food. You need it. And it's about just managing it. So, uh, while simple, um, just incredible advice, but any other, uh, personal habits or like daily, daily rituals and routines that, uh, that you believe have helped you and, and would help others. Yeah, I think it's important to take your kids to school, try to pick them up. I mean, I know people like I, I totally understand that some people don't have the aren't fortunate enough to do that. But for a lot of people, they, they choose not to do it. 
um, uh, putting your kids to bed. I mean, you know, I think a lot of times everyone's so go, go, go high performance. And, you know, I think time with family and also time away from a business, especially if you're an entrepreneur that hasn't transitioned their business to someone else to operate is getting out of the business is actually one of the healthiest things you can do for ideas and a clear mind and, you know, really understanding, um, you know, next steps. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I, and the other thing that happens as your kids get older as mine are, I've got a 17, six and a six, 16 year old and they drive now. And as you said that in my mind, I'm like, man, I, I actually miss dropping the older kids off at school. Cause once they start driving, you don't get that privilege anymore. Um, so I, I love that advice. And, uh, uh, that really landed for me. Uh, what about, uh, like, we've talked about this. We're almost getting to the phase where I don't talk about this anymore in these conversations, but I still think it's relevant. Like COVID-19 blessings. Like everybody talks about, you know, all the stuff that is COVID has made harder and worse. But I always like to talk about what, what things did it teach you? Are there things that you look back and, and uh, it helped you uh, realize or, or anything that came of it that's positive? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I've never worked from home ever and I'm a very, I like going to the office for a number of reasons that I won't bore you with right now, but, um, I just, I think that at the time COVID hit, I had a two and a half and a six month old and it was just really nice to be, and it was actually I had um, obviously internally let GTI know that I was going to leave and then COVID hit. And so it was at a time for me where I wasn't going, you know, I wasn't traveling, I wasn't working, um, you know, I was setting in the process of setting up my family office and taking a break. And it was amazing because I got to work out every day. I got to be with my kids. I got to hang out with my wife. It was, for me, it was a blessing uh, to, to have that kind of perfect storm together of staying home. Now, obviously I'm not saying COVID is a blessing, you know, um, I'm, I'm just saying that having that time with my family and little kids uh, was definitely something that I, I will look back on fondly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Man, what I didn't, I just put that together. The timing, uh, you know, that you, that you had was pretty impeccable. Um, not that it would have changed the values in the, in the end of, of, you know, your business and, and what it meant to you and, and GTI, but that's pretty amazing timing. I mean, it literally was, you know, just months before uh, the thick of everything. Uh, so uh, it's just, just an impeccable timing. What do you, what would you say? Uh, I know this is kind of a random question, but uh, you articulate yourself so well that I think you'll be able to answer it well. What's the best thing going on in your life right now? And then I have a follow up question to that. Uh, my family. That would, that's what I would say the best thing is going on. And, and, you know, some philanthropic stuff that we're, we're doing uh, are the two kind of happiest and most exciting things I would say that are going on. It's awesome. I would agree. 
Uh, and I know down deep, you're a savvy entrepreneur, and I know you've got a million things running through your head or ideas that you've probably moved forward on or you're thinking about moving forward on. Is there anything you're excited about that you're willing to share with us? Uh, well, there's a lot I'm excited about. I just, you know, I don't know that there's anything baked enough to share yet. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I would say nothing, uh, nothing groundbreaking or earth shattering quite yet. Got it. Well, we will stay tuned because uh, I know that, uh, that you got probably got a lot of great ideas uh, as we started to talk about it from point time to time. But looking back, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through um, in your life? Uh, you know, I'm 36 years old and I think that um, I've the hardest things I've, I've gone through are, are probably losses of family members. Um, um, yeah, I would say that that's probably by far the, the, mo the most difficult things that I've, I've had to deal with are, are losses of close family members. Got it. And then kind of going back, switching gears a bit, uh, uh, what, when we think about hiring in the cannabis industry, cause obviously that's what we do and you're pretty savvy. Uh, what type of leaders make the most impact in an emerging industry like cannabis? You know, I was talking to another group about this the other day and I think they laid it out pretty well. And, uh, basically I think it, it's great to have somebody who has, mid-level like CPG um, experience, experience at, you know, a, a director or mid-manager level, because I think that's where every business is successful or most vulnerable. <clears throat> and uh, someone who preferably has had one or two cannabis projects that they've been involved with already that have either succeeded or failed. Um, because so then they get hands-on experience from other industries, best practices, know-hows, and, and someone else has educated them on cannabis for you. You know, I think those are, that kind of profile is usually the strongest. Yeah, I love it. And you might've answered part of this question already, but what's the biggest learning lessons you've had as it relates to hiring? Hmm. Well, I, I'm a big fan of creating and getting as much information before you make a hire than, uh, than anything. And, you know, Max, I've been a big fan of PI, Predictive Index, and then also have showed you other HR tech startups that I've looked at to try to, you know, I think people look at HR and I don't think they are necessarily as sophisticated in quantifying their churn or how well they do or why people succeeded or didn't succeed. I think it's a very kind of antiquated process of post a job, look at a bunch of resumes, arbitrarily find factors that why that person is not good, you know, and then interview a couple and then do a second round and then 
maybe a presentation and, and then you hire somebody, you know, but no one's really auditing their process to see how much it works. So I guess the thing that I've learned most is really treating HR as a system that needs to be refined and making sure that you are looking for the right things and asking the right things because hiring people and training them is expensive and disruptive and much easier when you don't have that kind of disruption. <laughs> uh, th- thanks for sharing. No, that you're, uh, we have a, what's called a talent strategy index, which is like a self rating uh, questionnaire just so people can kind of rate how they feel about their hiring practices. And one of the questions is on a scale of uh, it's a six point scale. So you can't pick the middle. Um, how repeatable and scalable is your hiring process across your company? That's one of the questions. Mm-hmm. And I think I've only had out of like a hundred people that have taken it and they're all like people in YPO or entrepreneurs like yourself. And only like very few people have ever ranked themselves as a five or higher. Like, I think I've only one person has ranked himself as six. Uh, so it's interesting that you say that because I have found the same thing. Not many people focus on it and not many people, they know they're going to have to hire people in all their departments. And yet they all have different processes in all their departments for the most part. A lot of people do. And uh, thanks for sharing that. I, there's one thing that I remember about Armin when we did work with him, he was um, very good and very focused on, on hiring. So it was fun to, uh, fun to work with you. But I'm going to start wrapping up because I'm coming up on time and I want to respect your time. But I want to ask you a few more questions if you're open to it. Sure. What's um, what book have you read more than once? Like what's one of your favorite books? Uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Love it. If you had to give a 10 minute presentation on a topic on the fly, what would it be? Cannabis. (laughs) If someone said, hey, do that thing. What's the first thing you think of? Like, it's like a talent or like something that you do that is a little bit unusual, but you're good at. Uh, probably be an impression of somebody in my family. <laughs> what person has had the biggest impact on your life? Uh, my dad. And then last question, and then we'll start really wrapping up. Uh, you've been amazing, by the way, but what is something on your bucket? Let's say you're waiting to check off. Uh, it's just, it's travel. I won't, I really never been to Japan. I've never been to India. Um, I've never been to a couple of places and I love, I love traveling. So, uh, I'm ready. What's been the, the, your favorite destination to date? I there's no one favorite, but I, I mean, if I had to choose one country, it'd be Italy because it's just so many different things about it that are perfect, but you know, uh, if I had to go one place over and over again, that's, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. Italy's got to be up there for me as well. I think can France too, when they do the pyrotechnic show has got to be one of the, like it's in July every year on the weekends is amazing. But Armin, you've been amazing. Uh, I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, but, uh, I want to thank you for your time and, and, uh, it's, it's awesome to catch up with you and thanks a lot for sitting down with us and sharing with us and our audience a little bit about yourself and about your success. And, uh, I wish you the best of luck and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, you've been listening to the built on purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Wise Scouts. You can find all of our past podcasts at wisecouts.com. 
Armin, thanks again. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.